the world, uh, things about the world that you hadn't previously been exposed to. Mm. And you mentioned, especially when you went, when you were in Cambridge, when you went yeah. to um, Ang Anglia Ruskin. Yes, that's yeah. right. Um, you, you mentioned that, you know, you obviously came into contact with a lot of white uh, British people. Mm who would just talk over you or disregard, disregard your personal experience in regards to your faith, your culture, your upbringing. Mm. Um, is that an attitude since you've been in the UK that you find has um, moved forward or it stayed the same or it's gotten worse? Sorry, that's quite a yeah. big question. <laughs> I, I can only speak from my experiences and I feel like the first few years of me living in the UK felt worse because I was not prepared for it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was in a new country. I was very self-conscious of being too foreign mm. and too different. And I was also, I think a part of me was trying so hard to fit in that I would allow these narratives and stereotypes to persist I wouldn't stand up for myself because I, I was just I was in a new place and I wanted to be part of this life that I was creating for myself and to feel like I belonged in this new life and I think that more than anything that's what hurt me the most because I was not able to stand up for myself I was not able to at least in the beginning speak my mind and I was overly shocked by the ignorance and I was dumbstruck by the way people spoke to me about my religion or their opinions on how I should practice my faith or what I should do as a Muslim woman and how I should declare my feminism or my faith or just telling me how I can't be a feminist and a Muslim and I need to choose one. So there was a lot of entitlement mm. and it was it was a struggle, I think, because I was not prepared for it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And it's such an emotional thing to experience, to be attacked like that by strangers in what they think is an intellectual discussion in spaces that you were expecting to be safe. These conversations were not happening on the roads. They were mm -hmm. happening in classrooms and <gasps> in cafeterias and in libraries. Oh, wow. So I think that was very difficult for me. But over time, mm -hmm. I've learned that I don't owe anyone anything mm. and I don't have to engage with anyone and I will I get to choose who I want to share my ideas and my thoughts and my writing with it's I'm making that choice and I'm in control so I feel yeah. like things have become better for me even though it's looking like things are getting worse for the country as a whole um, yeah I mean I think your attitude is 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 such a kind of is such a positive and a sensible attitude for me it, it links to that kind of radical self-care that you talk about um towards yes. the back end of the book mm. um i mean obviously the uk right now um you know brexit is about to happen yeah um, such scary times it, it is. yeah they are certainly i think yeah. you know in terms yeah. of you taking it into your control as to who you engage with um is is really empowering yeah. and that you you don't offer i mean it's exhausting it, it is not on you to be yeah. doing all the yeah. work yeah and it's so important that i do the work that i think is meaningful mm. so i can actually make change rather right. than spending time engaging with the trolls who have no intention of learning or engaging no. in an intellectual way or in a 
compassionate way. Mm. That's not what they're looking for. They are just looking to attack. Yeah. So I think just understanding who these people are, what they want, and to either step away or engage. I find that my remaining open and vulnerable helps me have so many conversations that mm. otherwise would not have been possible. And I want to remain approachable. I want people mm. to want to learn about these different experiences. And I want... It gives me a lot of joy to tell people more about my life, for them to for them to know more about all the different experiences that I've had through my writing and through the way I engage online. That's very important to me. So I don't I don't want the trolls to take that away from me either. Yeah. Yeah. That makes So total I think it's sense. just a fine balance really. Definitely. Um so you work in publishing now. I do. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's what you studied um, in, Cam- uh, in Cambridge for. Um, yes. Was so I did a, yeah, I did a master's in publishing at Anglia Ruskin. Before that, I'd done a bachelor's in journalism and mm. communication in India. And I finished that off uh, in Germany as part of an exchange uh, program. And I, I loved books since I was a kid. And mm. I knew that I wanted to either write or work in books. And I tried journalism because that was the logical next step. Mm. Uh, But I felt like journalism and that kind of hard nonfiction was not working for me. That's not the kind of storyteller I was. And I think that's when I decided, oh, I just need to move to books. And I Mm. work in production. Yeah. I love it. Mm. Um, I I always imagine myself as an editor. But the more time I spend in production, the more I realize this is what I want to do. This is the kind of input I want to have with books. And I think it helps um, to produce books in my day job and then to remain creatively free to work on my own writing. Whereas I feel like, um, at least working with my editor, I felt like she also, Francine Toon uh, at Scepter Books, that she put a lot of herself in the editing process of my book as well. And I was just amazed by the amount of emotional work editors do. Yeah, that yes. Okay, very interested to hear more about this because that was one of the questions I had for you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, our paths crossed very briefly at Prima Donna um, a couple of weeks ago, which was a fantastic festival. Um, at Prima Donna, I, so I got to see you speak on stage with um, Elif, which was yes. just incredible. That was so amazing. What yeah. an amazing thing Ooh, for me. For <laughs> you, it must day. be a career highlight. Um, such an, a special moment for you. Definitely. Um, I got to meet Nadine Aisha Jessett. Yes. Yeah, yes. so... So obviously, like, I'm noticing a lot more on Instagram and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's very recently we've had, um, we have always been here, a queer Muslim memoir. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nadine has recently published um, um, a poetry anthology, Let Me Tell You This. Mm So there were more kind of uh, Muslim feminist voices coming up, you know, diverse voices. Yes. It was obviously really important for you, Zeba, to tell your story. Yeah. And so would you mind sharing with us kind of what steps you took? Like, how did you meet Francine? When did you know it was her that you you could trust with your story? Yeah, definitely. So I think... With publishing, with publishing your book and publishing something so personal or just 
a thing that you do when you're putting yourself out there creatively. It's so important before you start the journey mm. to ask yourself why you're doing this and what mm. you want from this and what you're ready to compromise. Because I think all journeys require some amount of compromise. And I decided very early on, because I, I was reading a lot of books growing up, but I never came across stories of Muslim women in an empowered scenario. Like the stories mm. were always like misery memoirs or running away from home and their faith and just being oppressed in all these countries in the Middle East or in mm. South Asia. The stories were never about them taking control within their environment with taking full power over their lives it was always I think about running away or there were never stories that I could relate to because I felt like that's not how my life works yes so it was very important to me that that when I write a book it stays true to my experiences and then I don't give in to the stereotypes that I don't start my publishing journey and mm. for editors and publishers to tell me, oh, maybe you should write more about this or you should describe this a bit more. Basically catering to the existing biases. Yes. To keep the narrative going, to keep this same narrative going about how oppressed Muslim women are. So I knew that that's not a book I'm going to write and nothing was going to make me write that. So that was very clear in my head from the beginning. And I think it's so important to have that discussion with yourself mm. before you start talking to other people about your work because it's a very fast-paced industry and you're alone. There's not as much advice out there for young writers, for new writers. Mm. It's a very alienating, I think, from an author's perspective at least, especially if you don't have an agent you're comfortable with. It's very easy to get intimidated by the processes and also when it's your dream to be published and to be a writer I feel like maybe sometimes I didn't ask the questions I should have asked mm. so these were things that I just needed to be aware of so with Francine I felt comfortable immediately and she never dictated the shape the book was going to take right. or where the story was going to go or telling me or pushing me to write the things that I didn't want to write because, mm. you know, it's a memoir, but there's so much that you don't include in the book. There's so much of your life that's not in the book. So at no point did I feel like my story was being sensationalized. The, right. uh, the publishers and especially Francine just respected my uh, decision to share what I was ready to share and to and just making sure that they didn't push me on things that I didn't want to do. And I think that's so important to just know where your boundaries are. Definitely. I think you've provided some really useful um, advice there for any, you know, aspiring writers or people to look uh, looking to get published. You know, you said you ask yourself before things start going too fast what you yeah. want to you know what you will and won't compromise on yeah I think that's something really valuable to remember mm. and I'm really happy that you met someone like Francine who just got it and yeah you know yeah just understood I feel really lucky it's just so I think it's so that things are changing publishing mm. is getting really good at least in the UK. Yes. But the change is slow and it continues to be a few people like like Francine and like other editors who are making huge leaps in the kind yes. of books that are getting published. But we still need people like that to commission and yeah. to publish it with love. I feel like I could have still written the book 
And if it was with maybe a different publisher, they'd have put a very stereotypical cover on it yes. and they'd have marketed it in a very different, different way. way. Yes, and I feel like Francine didn't do that. She mm. she knew what the story was about and she kept the cover very bright and she said it. she wanted it to exude the joy and hope yeah, that's in the book. It does. And I think the cover does that. It does, I agree. And I, I think agree. the title does that mm. and the subtitle does that and everything about the book, the mm. way it's been marketed, the way it's been publicized, the kind mm. of events I go to. It's just been amazing to see how much of a difference a public a supportive publisher and a supportive editor and a supportive publicist uh can make so my publicist is Louise Cote and she's just brilliant yeah oh. and all these people make a, they're part of the big change but they're doing these small small things that yeah. make a difference yeah as you say it's it, it can make or break the experience yeah definitely um, yeah and i think as well in terms of um that that conscious um event picking because i remember mm. um i think i remember Renée Edo Lodge talking a lot about how she wrote the blog post why i'm no mm. longer talking to white people yeah. you know which then became a book and yeah. then after saying that she wasn't going to talk to white people about race she yeah. had to go out and promote her book and talk yeah. incessantly about it. And yeah. she had to take herself away and look after her mental health a little mm. bit after that. Yeah. So I feel like we often forget, um, you know, and, and this, I feel like the same could have happened to you because we often forget um, the emotional toll it can take on you. Yeah. Going yeah. to all of these events, talking nonstop about your book, as you said, some of the memories little bit painful to work through yes so, definitely the writing itself is so yeah. difficult and then to start thinking about other things yeah. i feel like around the publicity of the book there were some uh, not demands i would say requests mm. because of the way uh, certain publications wanted to frame the book and the things that they wanted to focus on and the kind of images they wanted so they wanted uh, pictures to show my hair loss <gasps> and I felt that was such an intrusive thing to request yeah. or expect or feel that uh, that's the only way to frame a story about me and Ugh. my life goodness and I found that very interesting so I felt like I was still in a place of control where I could just say mm. no I don't want to do that and this is where I draw the line yeah but a lot of people don't feel mm. like they have that power or that control there's so much pressure on authors now um, and there's also the sense that how much you're willing to give yeah directly results in book sales and <gasps> but you have to I feel like I had to think about what the book sales meant to me and how much I was willing to do and I was not going to cross certain lines that I was not comfortable with but it was mm -hmm. also very interesting to me to see how certain narratives persist and who yeah. decides yeah. how my story will be told the whole act of writing the book was reclaiming that and suddenly here that act was being taken away from me and tried it was being sensationalized again so it feels a bit never ending really right yeah and I think that's just something we need to kind of acknowledge more uh, even me you know having this opportunity to talk to you right now about your book I think mm. we just have to be really careful about looking after you and other authors um because it yeah it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of work and yes. I think 
you know, thank goodness that you had, uh, you have your team around you yeah. who will be yeah. able to step and in. I have a very supportive husband. Mm. I think he keeps uh, things in perspective <laughs> for me. I have Aww. parents who just unconditionally supportive. Yeah. I, I can't imagine... I can't imagine myself giving permission to my kids to write the kind of book I've written. Oh, really? But they were so generous <laughs> from the very beginning. Yeah. They were completely f- with everything. My mother has not read the book, but she, she didn't want to go through the book with me and she didn't want to be part of the writing process where I ask her permission for everything mm-hmm. that I wanted to share. And I felt like that was a very generous and loving act on her part. Yeah, it's a very selfless, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just amazing. But I think about myself, it's so hard, I think, to be written about, to see yourself from someone else's mm. perspective. My dad read the book and he just said he was very proud and he apologized for not being the kind of father I needed him to be at certain points in my life. Oh. And I thought that, but he was, he did his best yeah. and I see it. Yeah. And he, and I think they should be appreciated for that But because mm. I feel like parents rarely get that appreciation so I wrote about my life and I think dedicating the book to my parents was letting them know that this is also about them and I see them and I love them and I appreciate everything that they've done because of which I am where I am yeah and I think it's there are certain things that can't be said Mm. because there's no room for those words because there's no patterns there's nothing to fall back on words that have not been uttered before I think it's very difficult to explain that or to make room for new ways of expressing yourself in relationships so I feel I feel like the book is helping bridge that in a way I think I hope such a beautiful sentiment um yeah so so beautiful thank you um just before you go I have two kind of shorter questions for you um as I already mentioned to you before we started recording I love your Instagram feed and for people listening I'm obviously going to link to Ziva's Instagram in the um in the show notes and I love it because you you are an avid reader and you have so many great book recommendations and you give such thoughtful reviews. Um, so I, I know, I always know where I would need to go if I want a book recommendation. Um, as we draw to the end of 2019, yes. I wondered if you'd kind of be able to share with us your favorite books of the year so far, just kind of like, you know, two to yes. three that you've really, I'd really love loved. to. So we just talked about Supper Club yes. by Laura A. Williams. And I think yeah. that's a very powerful book. Definitely right. uh, should be on everyone's reading list. So I think the best book I've read in 2019 is definitely a memoir by T. Kira Madden called Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls. And I just love how it's written it's just so free of all the constraints that writers are usually forced to think about and deal with when they're writing especially literature and i feel i think it was just really interesting to see messy lives reflected Mm. in literature like that and for young women to be to have the chance and that space to write about everything that they've experienced in that way. And it's, it's just a brilliant book. It's an amazing life. And it's written with such brilliance. With, it's just a masterclass, I think, in memoir writing. 
okay yeah, wow great. it's been on our tbr list for a while so we'll yeah. we'll make sure yeah. to bump it up um <laughs> and just really quickly before before you go ziba yeah. what happens next i am trying to write fiction now which was always Ooh. the plan uh, but I was really struggling with it because I thought that I had this, my own story that I wanted to tell first. And right. it just kept getting in the way of all the workshops and classes and courses mm. that I was doing in fiction writing. So I feel very free. I feel like I can let go of all the memories now and I can make space yeah. for new characters and to try and understand their intentions and their motivations. So it's a very exciting time, I think, for me as a writer to be able to explore that, to not feel that guilt anymore or to feel like something is holding me back so I'm really really enjoying this process oh that sounds fantastic well listen Zeba congrats once again on what is a wonderful memoir Thank and you. we're so excited to read the the fiction stuff what comes next that's really exciting um and just yeah thank you for your time and for your words and um sharing that with us thank really, you really so much it. i really enjoyed all the questions that you asked and i think it's really interesting oh. for me to have this kind of conversation and to look back at the process oh. and what i've got from it so very yeah it's making me feel very grateful of the journey that i've had so far so thank you so much for that <laughs>